0: Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community, living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. Morning, everyone. Morning. Hey, my name is Jason. It's, uh, it's great to be with you all again. I was here last uh, summer sometime. I don't know. Spring, summer. Uh, we've had since that time, I hope you guys have had a really great summer. We've had a, just a monumental thing happen in the Tarka household. School started, and we have all three of our kids in school for the first time. So we have a seventh grader. I know. Uh, I did all of it. My wife did, you know. No. no uh, so we have a uh, seventh grader. I'm not sure how that happened. We have a fourth grader, and we have a kindergartner now. Yeah, it's incredible. And so for the first time in 12 years, my wife is, she's home with no kids. And so the kids leave, and they come back, and the house isn't messy anymore. There's no trauma or turmoil. And so, uh, yeah, it's been great. It feels like um, fall is kind of an unofficial start to the year, right? There's January 1st, obviously, when we turn the calendar from December to the new year. But it feels like fall is this official unofficial start to the new year. Where kids are going back to school. Everything is kind of settling from summer vacations. People are getting back to their routines, going back to the gym. And it also feels that way maybe spiritually as well. You're kind of like that kind of just that lax or malaise from summer and everything just kind of settles here, right? And maybe you're feeling like you need this reboot or this restart after the summer. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just feeling like, wow, the summer just kind of flew by and haven't really engaged with God all that much. The wonderful thing is that God doesn't, he's not dependent on a, a date on a calendar. He's not dependent on January 1st to say, okay, now is a fresh start. Or the beginning of fall. Okay, now is a fresh start. It's just any time. It's any day. It's any minute that we can have a fresh start with God. So as we right before we jump into this text, let's just let's just pray. Take a deep breath. No matter where you're at this morning spiritually, would you just say, God, I I just I want to restart. I want a fresh start this morning. I want to hear from you. Last week is last week. Next week is, is not here just yet, but now. I want to be here now, God. And I, I want to I restart now. God, there's, there's a beauty in the fact that we take a step towards you, and you come rushing at us. And it's not dependent on the day or the time a date on a calendar, any time is a good time for you to invite us in to meet with you. So God, we commit this time to you. We ask that you would speak to our hearts, that our hearts would be sensitive, that our minds would be quick to hear from you, God, and that we would be changed from the inside out because we've encountered the the living God through this text. Amen. Amen. Uh, so last summer, my then four-year-old, she wanted to learn how to use the monkey bars. We have this amazing play structure in our backyard, and she'd been watching her two older sisters go back and forth on the monkey bars. And she's like, Dad, it's, it's my time. And so we started with just me kind of hoisting her up and her getting used to holding the monkey bars. And then I would kind of gradually step away for a few seconds, and then I'd grab, grab hold of her. And we did that for a little bit let go a little bit longer. And then it went from me kind of taking one hand and moving it from one bar to the next, and then to the next, and then to the next. And we do that for some time before she actually was been able to go back and forth on her own. But you know like what the hardest part about learning the monkey bars is? It's moving forward. It's really easy to just hang for 10 seconds or 20 seconds. But what's really difficult when you're learning to do the monkey bars is actually letting go of that one bar behind you and grabbing hold of the bar that's in front of you. There are these times when I was teaching Soren how to, to do the bars. And she would get this look on her face like, I'm not sure I'm strong enough to just hold one hand and swing my body around to grab the next bar. And sometimes she would overcompensate, right? And so she would swing really hard and she would overshoot the next bar. And she would be like, ah! And she would start to fall and have to catch her. Or other times she wouldn't have enough strength. Maybe she was just tired or a little fatigued and her fingertips would just kind of graze the bar and she'd fall and I'd have to catch her. Now this summer... She's a pro. She's like skipping bars. She's like doing like these crazy tricks on the bar. She's like putting ropes up there and she's swinging. But the process is still the same for her is that she actually has to let go of the bar behind her and grab onto the one in front. I think this is a really great metaphor for life. I think this is a really great picture of how life works. If we want to move forward, we actually have to let go of something that's behind to grab on to what's in front of us. That something in front of us could be graduating from high school and moving to college, right? You, you can't both simultaneously be at University of Oregon and be at Grant High School. It doesn't work that way. You, you can't... You can't graduate from college and start a career and still live in the dorms. It doesn't work that way, right? Or maybe that moving forward is finding the love of your life and getting married. Or maybe it's getting a promotion at work. Or maybe it's moving to a different city. Or maybe it's getting a better job. Or maybe it's, it's finishing your career and retiring. Or maybe that moving forward isn't something external, Maybe it's something internal. Maybe there's something that you are holding on to, a belief about yourself that you actually just need to let go of to move forward. Maybe that, that one thing you did five years ago that continues to play like a shame reel in your head, you need to let go of that to move forward. Or maybe, maybe there's something that you actually believe about God and how he thinks about you, that's just not true. And you need to let go of that to move forward. We see this pattern when we look at the the life of Jesus and the stories of Jesus in in the New Testament. And, And in this pattern, we see that he is inviting people to move forward. He's inviting his disciples. And it always starts with a call to his disciples or to other people to come follow after him. And almost immediately after that invitation, we see a challenge happens, right? Maybe that challenge is something they have to let go of internally or externally, or sometimes it's a challenge they're faced with by other people around them. And if they accept the invitation, if they can push through the challenge, there's always a change that happens on the other side of that. There's an invitation, a challenge, and then a change, and as we see this pattern happen over and over again in the life of Jesus, I actually, I'm going to submit this morning that it's just not for the disciples. It's for us as well. That Jesus is consistently inviting us to move forward. There will be challenges that happen. And then when we push through those challenges, change happens. So we're going to look at the gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles or if you have a phone or a tablet, would you, would you open up Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4? We're going to start in verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Okay, so let me kind of set up the lay of the land here. So Jesus is teaching, and this is part of that, that season of ministry where it's like Jesus is like rock star Jesus. He's got hundreds and, hundreds and thousands of people that are coming to hear him because he's teaching like no one else. So he's on the shore of this beach, and the crowds are getting so large that he actually has no other option but to move backwards. But the problem is there's a, there's a lake right there, and so he's got to get into a boat. Now, this serves two purposes. One, if you've ever been on a lake really early in the morning or really late at night or walking on the beach, and you're walking with your friend... And you're talking like this. But it sounds like you're talking like this, 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 right? So it has this natural acoustics on the water. The other, the other part of this, Jesus getting into the boat, is that he needs to get his, his disciples to the other side. And we're going to find this in one second. All right, so we're going to skip to verse 35. That day, when evening came... So he'd been teaching all day. He said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So here Jesus is on the boat and he's been teaching all day. And he hasn't just been teaching that day. He's been teaching for days before, right? So he's tired and he says, hey, let's go to the other side. Now, when we read that, maybe what comes to our mind is that maybe the other side of the lake is just a little bit more calm. Maybe there's not as many people there. Maybe there's an amazing bonfire over there. Maybe the sand is really clean and soft. Maybe the drink's really cold. Um, Maybe there's an amazing party over there. But that's not what the disciples would have heard when they heard, let's get to the other side. Now, we have a map really quick here. Now, um, so Jesus, if you see the little tiny, that green circle where it's the Sea of Galilee, he's on the left side and that's home base for him. Galilee is home base for him, for his ministry. And it's home base in that the Jews understand the moral customs, the laws. They may not always agree with Jesus, but there's at least a common understanding. But when you cross the Sea of Galilee around the green, that's what's known as the Decapolis, the 10 cities. Now the Decapolis, if you were any God-fearing Jew, you, you would not go there for a few reasons. It wasn't Jewish friendly. But more importantly, it was where the Roman soldiers camped out. So there would be a legion, at least a legion of Roman soldiers, and a legion's a few thousand. On top of that, it was also the retirement center for the Roman soldiers. So you had active duty and then retired members, right? And the Roman soldiers weren't like super pumped about the Jews. The other thing that was over there was that they had some really funky religious practices some of those involved pigs, which we'll see in a, a couple of verses. Another reason you don't go over there is because there's a, a pretty gnarly grave, a graveyard over there. You don't want to, you don't want to go over there. So when Jesus says to his disciples, "Hey, let's go to the other side," they're thinking, "Why? Why? Why are we going over to the other side? Like we, Jesus, Jesus, there's a huge crowd of people that want to hear from you. When we go to the other side, they don't want you there. It's interesting because I think that Jesus is still asking us to go to the other side. Now, it may not be across the Sea of Galilee, but but maybe it's across the lunchroom. Or maybe it's across your work. The cubicles at your work, or or maybe it's maybe it's across the street in your neighborhood. Or maybe it's across the living room. Jesus is still asking us to go to the other side. Verse thirty six. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him alone, just as he was in the boat there were also other boats with him. So you've got the disciples and Jesus in a boat, and then there's some other people in another boat as well. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So here's this scene. Jesus has been teaching all day. He's bone tired. He tells disciples, hey, we're going to go to the place that no one else should go to. Oh, and I'm going to fall asleep. And during that time when he falls asleep, it's night, it's dark, all of a sudden a storm comes, right? It's a crazy storm. And the disciples who are used to being on the water are really freaked out. And they begin to think like, is this how it all ends for us? And they wake Jesus up. Hey, Jesus, do you not realize that we're going to die? Have you ever been faced with something that is just beyond your control? Just completely beyond your control. Right? There's most time in our life where our experience, our talent, just intellect, we can kind of push through, right? We can Google it and we're going to figure it out, right? But there are other times when you're like, I- I'm not getting through this wall. There's no way. I remember the very first time this ever occurred to me. I was really young, I was five, six, and we were at uh, we were at the beach in Lake Michigan, right outside of Chicago. And it was uh first time I'd ever been with the beach with my family, and we we're just having the the time of our lives. So I remember I remember telling my mom, this is the best day ever. And shortly after I said that, this wave comes up and just poof, takes me down, right? And I just remember the water in my nose and in my mouth. I'm spitting up water and I'm coughing and I'm crying and I'm like, mom, why? And it was the first time I realized like there's something out there that's really powerful, like way more powerful than me. Uh, This happened again last summer. We had uh, done this amazing road trip from Portland to Chicago uh, and our, uh, just the five of us. For a family reunion, and we had left Chicago, um, and we're driving back. And that first day was a nightmare for us. We went through Wisconsin, and it was like 105 degree temperatures outside, and it was a, it was just gridlock traffic. Um, and then as we crossed into Minnesota, the 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 temperature changed by about 20, 25 degrees, and we're. It's just really odd outside. And at some point, we're driving down this road, and my oldest daughter looks out the window. She said, Dad, what is that in front of us? And it was just black. Like, not dark, but, like, black. Like, the road ends. It's like you're in a the Stranger Things TV show. It's like you're, like, not going to make it out. And as we get closer, the wind starts to pick up. The rain starts to get heavy, and then really heavy and I look at my wife, who's driving the van, and she's like, I, "I, can't, I can't do this. Like, I can't drive in this." And all of a sudden, it was like all of the cars in front of us and behind us form this single line, and they all got off at this one rest area. And this one rest area is just filled to the brim with cars. And by this time, the rain is just coming in sheets, where you can't actually see in front of you. And I can see a tree, and the top of the tree is touching the ground, which I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not how a trees supposed are supposed to be. Um, And then there's a guy at, the guy who works at the rest area is holding the door open for anyone who wants to brave the rain, but wants to stay alive. And Alice and I are feverishly trying to tune into some local radio station to figure out what is going on with this storm. And all we can make out is tornado and like seek shelter. And we look at each other. I'm like, is this how we go out? Like at a rest area in Minnesota somewhere? Like, this is it? And I get the kids, and they're screaming. They're like, Dad, what's going on? I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is how we're going to go out. And after about 20 minutes, the rain stopped, and the wind kind of subsided, and we were able to, like, get back on the road. But it was one of those moments where, like, I, I, there's n- nothing I can do right now that's going to stop this. And there are times in our lives where we face something that's just bigger than ourselves whether it's nature or whether it's cancer or whether it's a loss of a job, where there's our intellect, our talent, just can't push us through. And the disciples are facing this right now. Verse 39, Jesus gets up, groggy-eyed, morning breath, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves quiet be still then the wind died down and it was completely calm and then he said to the disciples why are you so afraid do you still have no faith so jesus gets up calmly rebukes the wind rebukes the waves and the disciples are just staring at this whole scene and it's really early in the morning, so they're not at their best. I'm going to give them that. But then he looks at the disciples and he rebukes the disciples. And this verse has always bothered me. Like, I get the rebuking of the wind and the waves, but why the disciples? Like, Jesus, why are you expecting them to know that you can calm the wind and the waves? Like, no one's ever done this before. They knew that you were an amazing teacher. But like, controlling the wind and the waves? Why are you mad at them for not knowing that? But I actually don't think that's the reason why Jesus was, was angry at them. I think the reason why Jesus was upset with them was because Jesus told them before they got into the boat, hey, we're going to go to the other side. And Jesus meant we're going to go to the other side. Why are you freaked out by, by, some, by some rain and some wind? I think it's their lack of faith. Hey, we're going to get to the other side. I think there are times in our life when we feel like Jesus is asking us to get into the boat and to go to the other side. And then the storm hits. And we begin to wonder should I have gotten into the boat? Should I have, should I have listened to Jesus? And some of you are here right now. You are so certain that God opened all those doors for that new job or that new job promotion. And ever since you got it, it has been nothing but storm after storm after storm. And you're wondering like, are you, did I mishear you, Jesus, or are you just sleeping? Or maybe you were so certain that everything lined up for that marriage. And now five years in, it is like, I'm not sure who I married. Who's this person? God, it felt like you were asking me to get in this boat. And now it is like, El Nino is hit and I'm going under. Or maybe you get a call from a doctor with the words cancer. And you're like, Jesus, I've been riding in this boat with you for my entire life. Where are you right now? All I know is that if Jesus asks you to get in the boat, he will make a way for you to get to the other side. And it doesn't mean that there won't be storms. It doesn't mean that there won't be turmoil or trauma or chaos. But if Jesus asks you to get into the boat, he will get you to the other side. And instead of having the fear of the wind and the waves, the disciples should have been having the time of their life, right? Hey, I know that we're going to get to the other side. This is a storm that you've never seen. They should have been at the front of the boat, arms extended, like the rain in their face and the wind. And just knowing like, I'm not sure how we're getting to the other side, but we're getting there because Jesus told us to. Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And I love what Mark starts to do in this passage here. This theme of fear is like spread all throughout this passage into the next chapter. And you see that the disciples at first were really afraid of the wind and the waves, this unhealthy fear. And now there's, it transfers to this healthy fear and like, who is this guy? Right? There's this unhealthy fear of the wind and the waves, and there's a healthy fear of Jesus. Like, who, who are we hanging out with right now? Verse 1, chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot. But he, bore, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So disciples, all they want right now is to get off the boat and just lay in the sand and go to sleep. Have you ever been like in an almost car accident and the adrenaline just flows through your body? And when everything is kind of just subsided or subdued, the adrenaline just leaves and then you're just bone tired, like exhausted. That's the disciples physically. Mentally, they're trying to process who they've been hanging out with. Like, they're hanging out with this guy who can teach, but also can just happen to control the wind and the waves. They get to the shore, and all they want to do is flop over. And then this crazy demon-possessed man, in Luke's account, it says he's a crazy naked man, comes running after them. And as we'll see in a second, he knows Jesus' name. And so the disciples are like, oh, my gosh. It went from really bad to then, like, astronomically bad at this point. Okay? Okay. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he fell, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. It's this really subtle dig at the Roman army right here. We begged Jesus again and again not to send anyone out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. If your only option as a demon is the pigs, like you, you need to reevaluate what you're doing in life at this point. <clears throat> he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs the herd, about 2,000 in number, remember a legion of soldiers is about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were, and were drowned. So now the disciples, bone tired, a crazy naked demon possessed man is now rushing at them. This, this man who they've never met before just happens to know the name of Jesus. Jesus is not talking to the man, but he's talking to the demons. There's 2,000 demons living in the man. He casts them out into the pigs. The pigs go and fall on the edge of a cliff. Right? So the disciples are like wide-eyed. Right? They're like homeschoolers at Mardi Gras for the first time. They're like, what is going on right now? And it's really easy to get bogged down by the, just the salacious details of the story. Why were there so many demons? What was he doing? Why were there so many pigs? And it's really easy to forget the fact this man got his life back. That this man woke up crazy and was going to go to bed that night sane. That man went, woke up this morning not being able to control his own body. And he was going to go to sleep that night. With all of his senses, being able to control himself for the first time in in who knows how long. And again, it's really easy to get bogged down by the details. But if Jesus can do this for this demon-possessed man, what can he do for you? What can he do for you? What can he do in your life? What can he do in your neighbor's life when he calls you to go to the other side? What could he do in your coworker's life when he calls you to go across the lunchroom? What could he do for your schoolmates or your other classmates when he asks you to go across the classroom? What could he do? Those tending pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. You would imagine this would be quite the commotion. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This theme of fear again. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. The people Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. so the people see what happened. It is not a quiet scene. Like a demon, demons like populating pigs. Pigs are not quiet. They're falling off a cliff. This is not a quiet scene, right? And the people that are around them are like, what is going on? They just lost their livelihood. And now they go back into the town to tell people and all the people rush out and they see this, this man who everyone knows is demon possessed who used to be naked and would cut himself with rock, is now dressed and in his right mind, and the people are afraid. And remember, like earlier with the disciples, how they were afraid when Jesus calmed the storm? And that was actually a healthy fear. This is an unhealthy fear. See, in the the story of Jesus, when Jesus does a crazy miracle, there's only two options that people have how they can respond. There's a sense of healthy fear, which the Bible calls like the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of following after Jesus, or an unhealthy fear that actually puts distance between yourself and Jesus. You slowly back away. And this is an unhealthy fear. They're really freaked out by Jesus, and it's not healthy fear. The other thing that is really interesting in this passage is that it says that the demon possessed man is clothed and in his right mind. Where did he get the clothes from? It's not like he, like, like signed up for Stitch Fix and all of a sudden they like airdropped him like uh, some clothes. I mean, he didn't like run over to Old Navy really quick to get some underwear. Where did he get the clothes from? He got from the disciples. The disciples had just enough to give to him. And this is what's really interesting. Is that when Jesus invited the disciples to go to the other side and they stepped in the boat, the challenge happened. There's the wind and the waves. And then the second challenge happened with the demon-possessed man. But Jesus didn't go across the lake just so he could do ministry. He invited the disciples in. And so when we go across to the other side, we actually get to partner with Jesus and the spirit of the living God in his ministry. Now, I don't know this, but I'm just inferring this, is that the story the disciples told, they told about the craziness of the storm. They told the craziness of the demon-possessed man. But my assumption is when they got back on the boat, they felt proud that they can actually participate in the ministry of Jesus They helped this man. And that's true for us as well. When Jesus invites us to go to the other side, when we push through the challenges, we come out changed. Part of that change is because we are participating in the ministry with Jesus. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So this this man who's been given his life back says, hey, can I get in the boat and follow after you? And Jesus says, no, actually, I I want you to stay here, and I want you to be the first missionary in the Decapolis. And you can imagine the conversation between Jesus and this man. He's like, what? Well, I, like, I don't, I don't, what am I supposed to say? Like, I, I don't know the Bible. I've never been to Bible college. I don't know any theology. Um, what, what do I say when they ask questions? And Jesus is like, it's kind of hard to argue that you were demon possessed, but now you're not. Just tell them your story. And I think so often we complicate when Jesus asks us to go to the other side and we have a story or we're able to participate in his ministry. Just tell him your story, and this this man did, and all of the people in the Decapolis were amazed. The first missionary to the Decapolis. So what do we do with this story? What do we do with this? None of us are probably going to go sailing today. None of us are probably going to hit a storm. I hope none of us encounter a naked demon-possessed man, unless you live in Northeast Portland like me. Seriously. What do we do with this story? How do we move it from first century to Hillsborough 2019? Well, I think the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to figure out what has Jesus invited us into? Because he's always inviting us into something. What has Jesus, us, Jesus invited us into? And I think this goes both individually for you all, but also as a church, what has Jesus invited your church into right now? And maybe for some of you, Jesus, you have this acute sense that Jesus has invited you to get into the boat and you're still on the shore and you're wondering, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm going to do this. Or maybe maybe he's invited you into something and you're, you're in the boat and you see the, you see the impending storm and you're like, I've actually brought my, my, my little tiny inflatable tube and I'm going to jump out right now because it's going to get crazy. Or, or maybe you're in the boat and the first storm is hit and you're there and you're wondering where, Jesus, where are you? Are you sleeping? Where are you? Or maybe you've pushed through the challenge and now you're on the other side and you're wondering what it looks like to participate with him in ministry. So I think the first thing you need to do is decide where you are at in this story. The the second thing is once you decide that, what are you going to do with that? Because disciples have choices. The disciples had choices the entire time. They could have bailed on Jesus at any moment. So the first is what... Where are you at in this story? And the invitation, challenge, or change. And the second one is, are you going to stay the path with Jesus? Um, one of my earliest memories when I, was, when I was six, I was at my grandparents' house. And my grandparents were uh, babysitting me. And I don't have a ton of memories from that night. I remember uh, my uncle being there. I remember going to a park. I remember uh, there were monkey bars involved. I do remember falling. I remember my uncle carrying me back to my grandparents' house. I don't remember going to the ER, but I do remember the, the the cast I had on my arm. The first time I ever did the monkey bars, I fell and broke my arm. And we still, to this day, tease my uncle about it. He let me fall. And I had this amazing cast from here all the way up to here, Right? And as a kindergartner, it's like not the coolest thing in the world to show up first day of kindergarten with this awesome cast on. But here's the deal. I didn't stop being active that day. I didn't stop trying to do the monkey bars. I didn't try to stop swinging from the swings. I didn't try to stop going on the slide. When the cast came off, I just got back on the monkey bars and tried it again. I went outside and I played baseball and I played soccer and I slid down a slide again. Listen, we're going to fall. There are going to be storms. But if Jesus has called us to get in the boat, he will make a way for us to get to the other side. And there's some, there some of us here this morning, the storm is raging And I just want to say to you specifically, I don't know how long the storm is going to rage for, but I do know that if Jesus has asked you to get in the boat, he is with you in the boat and there will be another side. I'm going to end with this verse, verse 21. I'm going to have the band come up right now as well. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat, To the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Let me read this again. I know this is not the most spiritual verse to end on. I know it's not like, oh, this really feels good right now. Let me just read this one more time. (laughs) When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. I think this is actually the most important verse in this this whole passage. And this is why. Because it reveals that nothing that Jesus did prior to that was by accident. He didn't wake up that day and it's like, oh, I kind of feel like going over to the other side, or hey, let's go to the other side. No, this was all planned. He he knew he was going to get the disciples into the boat. He knew there was going to be a man that needed help on the other side, and just as he had planned. At the very end of that, he was going to get in the boat and go all the way back across the Sea of Galilee. So let me close with this. If you're in the boat and the storm is raging, it's not by coincidence, it's not circumstantial. Jesus knows exactly where you are at. He sees you, He hears you, and He's with you in that boat. And it is no accident where he has you right now, individually and as a church. He knows exactly what's happening. And we can take comfort in that because the God who's in the boat with us sees us and knows us and can hear us. Let me pray. Can we... Um, We want hearts that are quick to respond to to your word, quick to your invitation. Help us when we get in the boat to push through those challenges, to be confident that you called us in the boat and that you'll get us to the other side. And when we hit that other side, with whatever comes at us, Help us to participate with you and your ministry for your good and for your glory. And as we are changed from the inside out, may our stories always point back to you. Amen. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you have enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church.